Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we're on with Rafe Chenery, pastor of our South Loop Church. And we get to talk with him about how true Christianity is communal, about how authenticity in our lives plays into that. And also we get to talk about heaven and what our relationship might be with believers who have already passed on. All right, let's get started. I'm Trevor Lovell, and this is The Pastor's Cut with Rafe Chenery. All right, well, Rafe, great to be with you today. Looking forward to having you on the show. Thank you, Trevor. Excited to be here, as always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, first episode of the new season, I got to ask, how did you celebrate the the New Year's? You know, saying goodbye to 2020, saying hello to 2021. Did you do anything special? Well, basically, I just surrounded myself with as many humans. We got in a huge group of like 500 people. It was, <laughs> we had a no mask party. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. It's a terrible joke. Yeah. We're off to a bad start. <laughs> you know, when I'm feeling <laughs> saucy, it's bad, Trevor. It's bad. And yeah. things get said that shouldn't get said. Um, what did we do? <laughs> Uh, you know, it was it was uh, us and uh, just some uh, a couple of very close friends. We just spent some time together. Our kids. Uh, we did a little kids countdown at eight o'clock p.m. and uh, made made them convinced that it was midnight and, <laughs> and watched them do a little uh, dance party in the basement. Um, it was it was simple. It was sweet. And uh, honestly, I think that's probably one of the things that of this whole last year, everything's been simplified. You know, everything is is smaller and fewer people and all that kind of stuff. And it was a good time to just be with a close friend and, and celebrate. Yeah. What about yeah, you? That's nice. Um, yeah. So we we did uh, we went to Zoo Lights in the evening, which was really cool. Uh, just wife and kids, and um, it was so like we I'd heard this that it was like really a different experience this year because of uh, COVID that they've got the restrictions on how many people, and so you're in there, and normally it's like packed and it's it's really cool, but it's also a little bit stressful. <laughs> and, and this time it was so chill and I was walking through and looking at the lights. And I was like, I feel like calm and, and soothed by this experience. And it's like, that's not, I've never felt that here before. So we went to the zoo lights a while ago, a couple of weeks ago. Did they do, you know, in the middle of the zoo lights kind of by, um, right by the lake, the, the little pond that's right in yeah. there. They normally have the mm-hmm. music and the Christmas trees are going like they're, it's like a, a light audio yeah. synca. They didn't have uh-huh. that. Yeah. Did they have it for you? So they had, they had something there. They had the trees where the lights were going up and down. And that's kind of the part I'm thinking about it. And they had music, but usually it's like, like really upbeat Christmas music. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that this year. It was like slow, uh, like just kind of instrumental orchestral music. And it was, that's the part that was like soothing rather than like, Oh man. Upbeat. See, for me, that, that was a big miss. That was, that was a huge miss. It's <laughs> yeah. like the best part about Christmas lights is you go there yeah. and the Christmas trees yeah. are like dancing to the music. That's okay. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm you glad got, you like, liked it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure next year Chuck Berry will be back and it'll be, it'll be great. I know. I know. Little Chuck <laughs> Berry. Never hurt anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing that happened, we did the the thing too, where we were with friends earlier in the day and we did the countdown, but to do it, we looked up on YouTube, the, the ball drop New York times square from last year or from, you know, 2019 to 2020. It was so like eerie to see these people like celebrating. They're so excited for 2020. They can't like, they're happy to be there. 
And it's like, man, you you have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> that's that's actually like, funny thinking of it that way. You don't know what I agree. Anytime you see something like on a movie or something where it's just crowds and crowds and crowds of people, there is a mm-hmm. there's an eeriness to it. Where like eh, yeah, it's weird. But I didn't think in terms of you have no idea what's about to happen. That's kind of, that's uh-huh. that's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, it like it. Um, maybe this is just like the pastoral, like the, the pastor in me. It made me think of James chapter four. Like the you say you're going to do this, you say you're going to do that. You don't know what you're going to do. Um, like you you don't know what's coming down the road. But yeah, that's a good one. Yep. All right. Uh, so uh, first sermon of the year, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. Rafe, you preached at uh, South Loop in Bridgeport, right? Yep. Yeah. Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon? Yeah. So Romans 15, um, <clears throat> it's continuing in this um, general theme that actually everyone who heard the sermons from back when we were in Romans 14 will remember the theme of strong and weak Christians. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, adding some finishing details to his thoughts on there. And it starts with this verse, Romans 15, 1. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. So the idea here is that, um, and basically the, the big idea I have for my sermon, like the one main point I tried to draw across was the biblical community, I'm sorry, what was it? True Christianity is communal. True Christianity is communal. Um, and the, the kind of negative way to say that is individually, individualistic Christianity is not Christianity. Um, and, and I think, you know, sometimes I think in the, in the Western church, we're really, we're really good at hearing phrases like that and justifying pretty much every, everything about our life, how we live, how we do church, how we operate within the church, how the church functions. You hear a phrase like, uh, true Christianity is communal. And you think, yeah, like I, we do that. Um, but I think if you really compare to what the early church was and you really look at what it meant for them to be communal, then we are a far cry in our modern Western church. In fact, we really are far more individualistic and have dragged in a lot of the kind of American culture of individualism into the church. And we've built our programs and built our our ideas of what is regulated, normal Christianity, often when it comes to the the community part of it, more off of individualism than on a life of a life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say. And so that was what I tried to work through. And uh, I think one maybe helpful thing that I, that I tried to draw out in the text was looking back at history and kind of asking the question, how did we get to this place? And, uh, I traced the, the, the story of, if you look at the early church, right, in the book of Acts, how they were living, they were doing life together. They were, open, they were gathering together daily, breaking bread together. And frankly, they were, they were being persecuted together and praying together. Like, it wasn't just like all fun and games. Like, they, they, were, they were suffering together. You know, suffering together draws people very close. So they were doing all this. And obviously, it's complex, right? There's many different things happening. But in general, there was this communal life together. And then, then in 312 AD comes Constantine, the Emperor Constantine. And Constantine, because of a series of events, he ends up making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so you move, there's a shift that takes place in Christian history from this very communal, um, just almost like family-esque 
type church to now everybody who's everywhere in, in the known world, in the known Roman empire has to go to church on Sundays because that, you know, people are, you know, if this is going to be our state religion, how do you do the religion? Well, then the first thing is you got to go to church, right? So, so church became rather than this family coming together, it became a, like, uh, a religious activity that you had to check off each week. Um, and all of a sudden there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands, thousands of people who weren't necessarily regenerate, who weren't necessarily actually full of the spirit, but who were part of this church family coming. And it became very individualistic. You go to church to check off the, the list, what you got to do, and then you leave and you, and you lose a little bit of the, you lose a lot of what was taking place in terms of a family. And I just asked, I asked our congregation, I just said, you know, what, what sounds more like our church and your engagement in the church? Does it sound more like come to church on Sunday, greet everybody, say hello, and then have a loose affiliation with the church throughout the week? Or are you dependent on the people in this church community for life itself? Like, are, are you literally clinging to them for your own sanctification in your spirit, but also for your own everything that happens in your life. And I think the hard reality to that question is we're probably far more Constantinian than we are apostolic in our, in our understanding of the church and how we live it out. And so that was kind of the big thrust is is saying, okay, that, if that's how we got to this individualistic consumeristic uh, idea of church, and even on our best days as a church, which we have wonderful things happening in the life of this church, but even on our best days, we still drag a lot of individualism into, into the church. So my, the question was, if that's how we got there, how do we begin to unwind it and, and really do something drastically new? Like, how do we get back to a place where we can say this looks and feels a lot more like communal life together? Um, which, in my opinion, is one of the reasons why the Spirit was so effective in working in people's lives and adding thousands to their number daily was there was this powerful life on life, day to day life ministry happening. Um, and what's interesting, you know, just one little tidbit on that, you know, a lot of Christians at some point in their life have experienced little moments where they've spent like three days together with a bunch of Christians and they were pouring into each other. Like I I didn't grow up in the church, but I know a lot of, like, I think of a lot of folks I know who they've been on like retreats or conferences when they were younger. And they had like three days of just prayer and just, just being together and bunking together. You know what I mean? And they look back on that with such fond memories, like, wow, the Lord did amazing things. And I think what in those moments, what people are tasting of is the apostolic age church. Like that's what they were doing all the time. It was that level of depth and it was this constant growth. Um, And so I think we get the concept of it. I just don't think we know how to apply it day to day in our life and in the life of our church. Yeah. 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 No, it makes me think about a couple different things. Like, uh, um, like when that, when that change happened with the Roman empire before that, there was the, like an intensity to the Christian experience, right? Cause you were, there was the suffering, there was the, the persecution. And then after that, it's sort of all of a sudden it was just okay. Like, it, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't as much intensity, but then the monastic movement developed out of that, um, to sort of like re- regain some of that. Um, it's like, this was great because it wasn't dangerous anymore, but also there was a sense of something lost. And that's where like the, the first monks actually came from um, in monastic life. Yeah. Yeah. That, which is a awesome, awesome 
season of church history to study. People who think the monastic yeah. season is boring have not read on that season. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. All right, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, man, you had this illustration that you used in the sermon about uh, a bicycle, like a bicycle competition, a race that you were a part of, a team team race, that I thought I got at this idea of sort of what it looks like to, um, you know, true Christianity is communal. It got at what it looks like for that to actually take place in, in a person's life. Um, could you, would you mind just kind of re- rehashing that here? Yeah, I will. Um, <clears throat> so a little, little side story here. Jackson Crum uh, borrowed this illustration from me like six years ago. So for those who are listening at like Near North or LP that are like, wait, I've heard this before. Jackson Crum borrowed it from me. That's how good of an illustration it was. The <laughs> bishop himself borrowed this sermon oh, illustration. Oh, okay. Um, so again, Romans 15.1. Let's just hear it again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each please his neighbor for his good to build him up, right? So it's looking at the stronger people and saying, look, come alongside the weaker. Don't look down your nose at them, but bring them along in this journey and strengthen them by sacrificing your life for them. So when I was a freshman in college, I trained, I went to Indiana University. There's this big bike race there called the Little 500. Uh, some of the people listening might know about that. And I trained with uh, our team, uh, our fraternity team to race in this race. And so the eight guys on the team ended up making this trip to San Diego to train with a professional. And uh, we're out there and there's a, there's a particular island where a lot of guys in San Diego go to train for bike riding. Uh, and it's this crazy island where it's about, I think it's about a three, four mile perimeter around the island. But when you hit the back stretch of the island, the wind coming off the Pacific is so strong um, that you, you basically cannot ride a bike through it. I mean, you have to, if you don't have control and if you don't have strong enough legs to push through it, it really, it's impossible, let alone trying to race through the wind. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and if you've ever seen people bike race, um, like if you watch a tour to France or if you've seen people even just riding on the side of a highway or a side of a street somewhere, the concept of riding in a bike with other people is that you ride in a single file line and your tires are about two inches away from each other. That's the goal, two inches. So the back tire, the person riding in the front, uh, what's happening is they're cutting through all the wind and they're taking all the air and the wind on themselves and they're creating a draft behind them. And the, the next person in line, if they can keep their tire about two inches, their front tire about two inches off the back tire of the person in front of them, that person can save about 60% of their energy compared to the guy in the front who's taking all the wind. And then what you do is you rotate who's in the front. So everyone's taking a turn, like cutting through the wind and everyone else gets this break as they're drafting off the, the draft they're creating. So we're on this island. We break up into two teams of four. We start racing around the island and, you know, our team pulls ahead. Now I'm the weakest guy on my team. For sure. It was a, some, some seniors who were on there. I'm, I'm a freshman at the point. I'm the weakest guy on the team. But we pull ahead about 100 yards to the other team of four. I'm a race on this island. And we hit the back wall of wind coming off the Pacific. And I, my legs just turn to jelly. I mean, I'm done. There's nothing. I, if you guys know what that feels like, where you're just like, I'm trying everything I have. <laughs> There's no, like, My legs, I don't even know what's going on. They don't work. And so I lost the draft of my team of four and I fell off and then I'm all on my own. My legs are dead and I can just see my team pulling ahead. Uh, and I can see, I look back and I see the team behind me coming around the corner onto the back wall and they're just slowly gaining on me. 
and I'm all by myself. And I just know I've lost it for my team. There's no way I can be the team catching me right at this point. And I look ahead to my team and the, <laughs> the leader of our team was so angry. I could hear him yelling, Rafe! Like he was just like, it was one of those, like, I know I'm, I, I failed. Like it's all on me that this is my fault. And I deserve every bit of blame here. Uh, but then another guy who was a strong leader, who I just respected tremendously in college, uh, he kind of peeled off the pack and let the other two guys finish the race. And he came back to me and he got right in front of me and he looked back and he yelled, and he goes, get on my tail. And what that means is like, get on my draft, right? Like get right behind me. And he coached me and he pushed me and he basically created a draft for me. And, and we cut through the wind together and he just kept saying, you got this, you got this, drive your legs, drive your legs. And we crossed the finish line and we won that, we won that race. Well, it was a practice race, but we, we won the race. And I think that little picture is kind of, it captures so much, right? Like you see the one guy who was the stronger captain of the team, so to speak, who he, he didn't use his strength to benefit the weak, right? Like I was the weak one there. And he just got angry at the week and he, he, he left me behind. And, uh, and as a weaker person, I felt that was probably justified. I'm like, look, okay. Like I'm not as far along as you are. Like, okay. Um, but this other guy used his strength and he gave it up. Like his concept was if we don't all win together, then I don't win. Right. Like, like I only win if we all win. And I think that concept is what Romans 15 is getting after that, the strong, if they pull ahead in their spiritual life and, but meanwhile, like their gift and their blessings and, and what they have to offer the church is not being used in life in the church. And they're not bringing anyone else with them, but everyone else is left behind. You haven't really succeeded in what God's calling you to. You're part of a community and you've got to bring the weaker along with you as you make this journey. That was, yeah. that was the picture. Yeah, no, that's so good that the, like strength is to be used for the benefit of the week. And yeah. And that understanding of it's the team wins or the team loses and yeah, you're part of the team. So it's not, it's not like there's no individual success. It's, it's team win or team loss. Yeah. 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 And again, yeah, it's such a good that, illustration. That's, that's so anti-American, right? Like we are, and, and we're individualistic. Like we, we celebrate, the strength of the individual to do it without the help of others. But here there's this mutual dependence where God's knit us together and, and quite physically, we can't do it apart, right? We're dependent on the spiritual gifts of everybody, not just the pastor of the entire community. Um, and so it's this pretty, pretty powerful concept that the church has to live out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, so Rafe, is there anything that got cut that you'd like to kind of dive into or anything that you maybe touched on you want to dig a little bit deeper with? <clears throat> yeah. So one idea I, I was really wrestling this week with, why are we so terrible at this? <laughs> like, like, why am I terrible at this? Like, I, I, what, what is it that makes the early New Testament church so effective and powerful in living communally? And why, what's hindering us? And, and one of the words that came to my mind as I was praying through this text was authenticity. And I think the reason authenticity came to mind was I think that in the church, the modern church, because we prize individualism so strongly, I think that there's a really great fear of expo exposing your weakness, 
uh, and exposing that you're not as far along as you want everyone else in the church to think you are. Um, and I think that happens everywhere. I think that that happens among pastors, right? You get a group of pastors in a room and no one wants to be seen as the weakest pastor. Uh, everyone wants to feel like they know all the issues, right? They, they understand. I, I get into that. I get into that rhythm. We'll be talking about a topic and I, you know, I know what I know, but there's a lot I don't know. And, and it, it, it takes a level of confidence to be able to say like, I really have no, like I, I need, I have a lot of work to do. I don't know. I don't know this area, but I think it happens in the whole world of Christianity. And you, when you lose the authenticity and the ability to, you know, what Paul says in second Corinthians four, we hold these treasures in jars of clay. Right. And it's the point of it is to boast in our weakness. Like there, there's an actual authentic uh, joy that we find in, in, in proclaiming our weakness then uh, you're really listening to church. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer has got this great quote. And let me quote this to you. Um, It says, it may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur. So this is what he's saying. He's saying the final breakthrough to real fellowship. And this is from his book, Life Together, a great book on communal Christianity. He says, the final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. Okay, so he's making the same point I'm making here, but saying in a very Bonhoeffer way. And what he's saying is we love our fellowship when it's pious in the church. We we love to have our holy huddles and we love to uh, do our religious activity. And there's a level of fellowship there. But we hate having fellowship as sinners. And fellowship as sinners requires a genuine take the wall down and confess and pray and be in life together and use the strength of other people to get through stuff over the long haul. And we really reject that. Uh, and he, but he says that's the key to true fellowship because that's the, that's the basis of our justification, right? As we first acknowledge that our own sin and until we can acknowledge that and, and publicly and really live in it, it's going to be tough to create any kind of biblical community because that's the basis of the gospel is first understanding our own sin. So Bonhoeffer provides a little bit of helpful there, a little, a funny little picture from our church. I was listening to a a woman from our small group the other day, and she was talking kind of on this topic about how sometimes in small group, it's difficult for authentic conversation of what's really going on to break through. And they were talking about marriages and and the topic of the difficulty of marriage came up and, and someone was just cracking the ice a little bit in small group. Like, you know, they're having a hard time in marriage. And, and uh, this other person that I was talking to said, you think you're having a hard time in marriage? She goes, I threw a piece of raw chicken at my husband the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way she described it, she said there was about five seconds where everyone was like, oh, like, like I don't know <laughs> what we're supposed to say at this point. But then what happened is that created unbelievable opportunity for everybody to say, okay, 
Like if if you can say you threw up, you threw raw chicken <laughs> at your husband, like, like I, let me tell you what's going on with us. And it was this really powerful moment where one person uh, shared vulnerably and authentically, not even with the intention of trying to be serious about it. Just like, okay, we're a family, right? Like let's like this happened. And what happened was everyone followed suit and they, the strong ended up bringing the weak along in their authenticity of being a sinner. Yeah. 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 Wow. You, you could even say like the, like the willingness to be vulnerable and to like reveal their own sin instead of hiding it like that. Sometimes that's how the strong can lead is with that authenticity. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Tying kind of all the points there together um, and a good application for small groups. <laughs> there you go. Well, and I think, and here's what, here, the reason this got cut is because I don't think this is necessarily directly in the text. The text doesn't, is, isn't necessarily about authenticity. It's about life together. And it's about strong and weak doing life and Jew and Gentile doing life together. But the reality of that is we all know how difficult it is for Jew and Gentile to do life together, right? Like, like those are difficult culture. There are massive cultural barriers there's massive worldview barriers. There's massive life experience barriers to doing authentic real life together. And those are lived out in the church on repeat, no matter what church you are, no matter, you know, every church has a diversity of people because no two people are the same. And we all have these different worldviews we're coming from and, and perspectives. And so to really break those walls down, if, if you can't be authentic and be vulnerable, life together is impossible. And so that's kind of how I got into that lane. And Bonhoeffer, for anyone who wants a good resource, very short read, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's short book, Life Together. Um, yeah. Is short, but the, not quick. Short, but <laughs> not quick. It's one of those contemplative, you know, read a page or two and reflect on it um, and feel real guilty that we're not living up to, <laughs> <laughs> not living up to uh, what Bonhoeffer spells out, but, but that's good. You know, if we'll, we'll arrive at heaven and we should be chasing after it in this, this side of heaven. All right. So we've got one last piece here, the show, and uh, this is something we're actually bringing back. It's the idea of a listener question. So we've got one here to talk about, but just real quick for anyone listening, if you've got a question you'd like to submit, um, you can do so just by sending an email to podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. We'd love to receive any questions you have and uh, have a chance to discuss them here on the show. So go ahead and send those on in just real quick, podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. Love to hear any questions you have. So, so all right, Rafe, here's our question for today. It's a good one. Now, here's the question. What do we know about heaven and specifically about our loved ones who have passed who were believers? How are we to understand our relationship with them once they are, um, once they're past? Okay. Um, well, let's just jump in. So uh, it's, let me just start by saying there's a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn um, that was a very influential book for me. Uh, Paul says in Philippians, let me get this right. It's in Philippians 1. Uh, Paul says, I would rather, uh, what does he say? I'm looking up real quick. I would rather for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he, Paul has this like line where he's like, man, I'd rather die right now and go be with Jesus, but it's necessary that I'm here. That verse, I understood it. I never felt it until I read the book Heaven. 
and got a really good theology of what heaven is and what the Bible says about heaven. And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd rather be there. That, <laughs> that would be really good. Okay. So we'll start with that as a blanket. All right. Let's walk through it a little bit. Uh, what do we know about, uh, about heaven overall? First of all, we need a good theology of heaven. And so to do this briefly, let me say this. The final heavens are not yet. The final heavens are not yet. So we'll get to where people are now, and we can use the word heaven to describe where people are now who have died, or we can use the word paradise, which is what Jesus says to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. We can use the word heaven if we want to, and we'll get to some other passages that might uh, help us with that. But no matter what we call where people are right now, it is not the final heaven. The final heaven is when Jesus returns to earth and merges heaven with earth officially. And this is really important for a good theology of heaven because heaven in the future, once Jesus returns, will geographically be located right where we are right now. It will be on this earth and the earth will be renewed. And that's really amazing. We'll have physical bodies. We're not going to be like ghosts floating out or angels. You know, angels are a different species than humans. So we're going to be humans in our new glorified bodies, which in my opinion, I think is going to be I think when you see your glorified body, you'll look back on this raggedy body that we have right now that's fallen from sin and we'll think we look like zombies. That's what I think. We'll be like, oh, wow. (laughs) Like that's what sin did to us because you're going to have this new glorified body and it's going to be what what God originally designed us to be like uh, in heaven. All right. So I think, so heaven will be here. It'll be physical. There'll be life, community, there will be civilization, uh, but it all be without sin or even without the opportunity for sin. So sin will be no more and no opportunity for sin anymore. Our union with God will be full and complete and we'll never look back and it will be eternal. Jesus will be ruling as reigning as king. He's the centerpiece of heaven. Okay, so that should get you real excited for heaven. What that means is, Trevor, Trevor, you and I, I'm hoping you and I, can sit and have amazing theological conversations like like we like to have and be learning. You don't get to heaven, know everything. You're going to be increasingly learning through eternity about the glories of God, about all that he created, right? It's this ongoing thing. As C.S. Lewis says in the final Narnia book, what did he say? Ever onward and up? What do they say? Onward and not onward. I know he says further up and further in. Further up and further in. That's what it is. It's further Uh up. It's constant, further up and further in. (laughs) All right, so that, that's eventually everyone who's in the current paradise or current heaven will be transferred to the final heaven. And we who are alive at that point will go there as well. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read that to you real quick. Let me pull it up. So 1 Corinthians 15. Um, he says, Christ, uh, for, for verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who are in Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So it's that what that's getting after is that Christ is risen from the dead, he's defeated death, and the church age right now is happening, and then when he returns, death itself will be destroyed and he'll usher in the final heaven, okay? So again, now where are people right now? Uh, they go to be with Jesus right now in what is 
the best way to put it is like a layover on the way to the final heaven. It's very good. Uh, It's like heaven. Um, If they have bodies right now is a question that theologians debate. And we don't know. There's There's not many texts that tell us. Perhaps the closest thing that would tell us is in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. It says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Um, so he's getting at this this language of tent, of being naked. And I, I, I think, Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's getting after like our body, basically. Yeah. Like, what kind of body yeah. are we going to have? Um, but the point is this, they're, they're in heaven with Christ. It's not the final heaven, but they're in heaven with Christ. I think they have some kind of body right now. I think God designed us to have a body. Um, I think from 2 Corinthians 5, 1, that's the text that kind of tells us that. I don't know what that body is. If it's their final glorified body or not, I'm not sure. But they're with Jesus. It's amazing. Um, what's our relationship with them? Uh I think our relationship with them would be the same as it would be with anyone else who's gone before us. So, you know, we look at um, Hebrews, what is it, Hebrews 11? Let me pull this up. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and the, we, we talk about the great cloud of witnesses. Is that Hebrews 11? The great, yeah, yeah. Uh, it might be 12, 11 or 12. Yeah, the great cloud of witnesses. I'll let you look that up while I'm talking right here. I know Hebrews 11 talks about all the the men and women of faith who have gone before us and and the work they've done. Mm -hmm. But then it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. And and the concept- 12.1. you read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The, The idea here is this. They ran their race and they did it with faith, obviously, if they're in heaven and the Lord used them in this life. And now they're in their next phase. <laughs> they're in their, the beginning of their eternity. The idea here is that in light of the fact that they've gone before us and they've kind of paved the way, now we, we do similar. We, I don't want to say we uh, honor their memory in that sense. I don't know if that's the right language. But we, we, we can use what they've done in the past and their example of faith to stir us on, to exhibit great examples of faith as well. Um, do we communicate with them? No, right? We don't communicate with the dead. And in the Bible, uh, that's explicitly condemned. So Saul, basically, remember, he, he consults the, the medium at Endor and uh, ends up raising Samuel from the dead. Well, something happens. And, uh, and he gets in big trouble for that. So we don't try to communicate with the dead. We don't do seances or things like that. We, we're not interested in ghosts or anything like that as Christians or any kind of TV show that would promote, uh, you know, ghost hunting or something like that. We know that all of that is work of the devil and it's demonic in nature. And so we would stay far away from all of that because nothing, we should not be doing anything like that. When we think of the dead, we are, we are thanking God for their life, for where they are in heaven. But that is something if we're going to pray, we're going to pray to Jesus, um, who's the God of both the dead and the living, is what Jesus says, um, but not to those who are actually departed. They've run their race there with Jesus in heaven. What do you want to add to that, Trevor? Yeah, I think the only the, the, the only other thought I would throw on is that sometimes people will have the question, well, what about like my, 
you know, if my, if my parents have passed away or like if my grandparents have passed and they were believers, like there's no, there's no way to contact or communication. Like we will be united in heaven, like the final heaven, as you're saying. Uh-huh. Um, but is there, can they basically, do they have some sort of sense of what's happening with my life right now? And, and even are like, are, are they praying in some sense for me? Is that something that's taking place? Yeah. Um, well, I want to be careful not to answer that too uh, definitively because I don't, I'm not certain that there's too many texts that might give us too much inclination on this entirely. Uh, the idea that, you know, people say, oh, they're looking down at you. Uh, I don't know if we can validate that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think we necessarily should be validating that as a biblical theological truth. Uh, Trevor, I don't know if you want to add to this in any way, but my, my understanding is that when you're in heaven, I don't think you're looking back uh, towards earth groaning still, right? Because if you're looking back towards earth groaning still, uh, I don't think you're necessarily in heaven. Uh, and so I, if they're able to, to see what's happening on earth, uh, I think that might be a little bit of a surprise only because I, I don't think the text from the Bible shows us that. I think, you know, another thing I've seen a lot uh, with folks in our church is they'll say, oh, I feel like, you know, something happened and it was my uncle or something communicating with me. And, you know, you know, they were in their house and, you know, a vase fell in the other room and they're like, oh, it was Uncle Ben or something like that. And, uh, and I think as Christians, we should stay away from that kind of theology. That's not the, that's not the concept. Uh, they're very content and joy-filled in heaven being in the presence of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I remember even hearing that once with, um, uh, you know, mentioned the Bishop Jackson brought it. I was having a conversation with him about something and how uh, like a comforting thought is that being reunited with family members who have passed away in heaven who are believers. And he's like, well, yeah, that's true. But also like, Jesus is going to be there. And that's like, that's the, he's like, it'll be great to see them. But what you're really going to want to see when you're there is you're going to, you're going to want to be united with like our Lord and Savior and our King. Like that's what's going to bring you joy in that moment. Yep. And that's what you're going to care about. Um, and keeping that and remembering that as the focus um, is good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. It's very good. Yeah. All right. Well, Rafe, it's been great having you on. This has been great conversation. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks for the work that you, you know, put into the preaching and uh, preaching ministry. So appreciate you, brother. All right. Back, right back at you, Trev. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope it was beneficial for you. And if you have any questions you'd like to submit uh, that for us just to discuss in one of the upcoming episodes, love for you to go ahead and do that. And you can just shoot us a quick email at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week.